Welcome to episode 14 of Shebrews Hebrews, a Jewish fermenting podcast where we hope to discuss all things home brewing and fermenting. Today we're talking about punches. I'm your host, Evan Harris, and with me today is my co host, Allison Shea. Hey there. And just to clarify, by punches, we mean uh, the alcoholic beverages referred to as punches. We do not condone any physical violence. That is correct. We are talking the alcoholic beverage known as a punch, though there are, of course, in, at least in this country, are non-alcoholic versions as well, which in many a media are then the butt of the joke by having somebody or spiked the punch. Or uh, alternatively, refer to it, people refer to the non-alcoholic versions as bug juices. That um, is true. Which I just think is a funny term. That it is. But did you know legally in this country, something labeled as fruit punch does not have to contain any fruit juice? That is horrifying. And I don't like it. Nor do I. Uh, but so what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> well, I was at Trader Joe's earlier, and I found the prettiest blue bottle that happened to be about two feet tall. Maybe two and a half feet tall. It is very tall. I've seen them. Evan knows the bottle I'm, I'm talking about. And me, being a home brewer who has recently purchased a corker, went, ooh, I want that bottle. So I bought this bottle of wine. And clearly my roommate and I decided that it needed to be emptied so that I could use it. So I am drinking not very good wine. That was in an exceptionally tall blue bottle because I liked the bottle. Yes. So this is a very, I have seen these before and I've debated doing what you've done. It's not good wine. If you're in Trader Joe's and you see this very tall, very pretty, it's it's two bottles of wine in there. Um, but if you see this very tall, very pretty blue bottle of wine, do not expect it to be good wine. It's a pretty bottle. If you're going to bottle in it, go for it, but the wine is not not good. <laughs> so a double bottle of wine is referred to as a magnum of wine, uh, and bottle sizes get larger from there. A lot of them are actually named for ancient kings of Israel. But also, yeah, like uh, Jeroboam, for example. This is Jeroboam. Uh... But also, it is worth noting that once you start drinking the very large bottle of wine, you forget the names of very large bottles of wine. I forget them even when I've not been drinking. Uh, Which so is entirely valid. So you have, so after the magnum, a three is sometimes referred to as a, a Marijon. A four is a double magnum or a Jeroboam, which also can be a six, depending on where, what region of France you are. Then a Rehoboam is also a six, again, depending on the region of France. An eight is an imperial or a Methuselah. A 12 is an ancient Assyrian king. The Salamanazar. A sixteen is a Balthazar, again, not Jewish king, but Christian Bible. A twenty is a Nebuchadnezzar. I want a twenty. I want a Nebuchadnezzar to put my homebrew in now. Oh yeah, just for the fun of it. That that is a fifteen liter bottle of wine. A standard bottle is 0.75. Yeah. Which... Uh, twenty four is named after another one of the wise men. 26 is a Solomon. Never mind Nebuchadnezzar. I want a Solomon of wine. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. 35 is a Sovereign, which is basically only created for some cruise ship. A Goliath is a 36. And then a 40 is a Mikolaitz. 
biblical king of Salem or a Midas king of or in Greek um, legend? Those are too large. I don't like it. You mean you don't want 40 bottles of wine in one bottle? No, I had trouble lifting and pouring the Magnum. <laughs> yeah, that that's the problem. That is actually why wine bottles are roughly the size they are. But I do want Magnum bottles at some point. Yeah, I mean, I've bottled with Magnum bottles, but they were like Not normal shaped bottles of yeah. wine. Yeah. Fair. No, I, I guess... actually, I hmm? no, that is fair. But a little bit more on today's topic. I actually made a small bit of punch for today, which I'll talk fair. about my recipe later. Very nice. Oh, wait, we didn't get to what are you drinking? We got That's exactly what I'm drinking. The, the punch. Yes. There we go. We got distracted by the bottles. But how is your polk going? Well, it's pronounced polke as it polke. turns out. We've probably mispronounced it in the past. Um, I think we've used I, both pronunciations. So mm-hmm. right now I'm doing the pulque completely plain. It is just plain agave, fresh from my friendly neighborhood. Costco. (laughs) And I put it in shortly before I left for Thanksgiving. So when I first got back from Thanksgiving, well, before that, one of the things that I had Googled and found out about pulque was that apparently the traditional version, which is not made out of the same agave that I'm using, it's made out of a different type of the of agave. There's a whole variety of different agave plants. And as we've mentioned previously on the podcast, tequila is made out of a very specific variety. And the stuff that you can get readily available in the States is not going to be that. So I have Costco <laughs> agave, and the traditional version looks milky. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's supposed it's supposed to have a very cloudy white appearance. And when I first got back from Thanksgiving and took a look in my closet, where I keep my carboy, it was quite milky looking. It was a it was a light yellow, very milky color. If you had taken some milk and diluted it slightly and added yellow food coloring which is, I guess, a very strange description. That's pretty much what it looked like. But starting earlier today, it finally stopped blooping. Evan and I referred to to, uh, the fermentation by the bloops or the number of times the carboy bubbles. So if you ever hear us refer to something as the number of seconds per bloop it's the it's the number of seconds in the interval between bubbles released yeah uh, through the, through the, the airlock. airlock it's a very scientific measure oh yes it, it's excellent we are we are excellent and diligent scientists here <laughs> in my closet anyways so i noticed earlier today that the blooping has completely stopped and not only that the cloudiness has begun to clear up so right now what I have is a sort of ombre towards the bottom. The top is pretty clear. It's not all the way clear. It, it, it looks kind of like you're looking through a frosted glass at the moment or uh, or a glass that's too cold. But you can see it's clearing up. And as you go further down to the bottom of the carboy, it looks cloudier and cloudier, which is very interesting to see. So... I think it's going to clarify all the way. I'm really interested to see it. I'm going to let it clarify in the carboy before I bottle it into that ridiculously tall blue bottle and other things. 
That's to be really interesting to see how much it clarifies. Yeah, but now that as of yesterday, it was still it was still blooping away like fourteen seconds per bloop, and today it's pretty much completely stopped. So I'm gonna give it another few days, and then I'll probably take a taste, and then if it hasn't stalled, I really hope it hasn't just stalled or something. Yeah. Well, the fact that it's clarifying, at least in my experience, it suggests probably... that it's finished and not stalled. Yeah, and I mean. I guess this is a question for you as a more experienced homebrewer. If something has stalled, is it safe to, and, and you drink it and it's still sweet, are you good to, to go ahead and bottle that? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if it's, well, it depends exactly on why it's stalled. If it is stalled because it has become too cold, you do risk fermentation when the if the bottle warms up. And then you could pop corks or have bottle bombs. You're more like, if you're corking, you're just going to pop corks, which means you're going to lose some of what you've made. If it is stalled because the yeast has died, no problem at all, as long as you're over about half a percent alcohol, which is very low. Yeah. I So, for context, I've never actually had a stall happen. It's something that I've heard about, and, I mean, <laughs> it's something that's on my mind at the end of, at the end of bruise. Like, am I okay? Yeah, so, I've had... A few stalls, most of the time it gets within the drinkable sugar. Sometimes you can get some things that are really, really too sweet to drink. The one that is too sweet to drink is actually uh, what I ended up doing was, I believe it was the, the, white, the white Labs yeast you asked about, actually. Oh. Their champagne yeast stalled on me. And champagne yeast tends to be very good. I tried pitching more yeast. I don't know what happened. It just stalled. And it was me attempting to do a champagne-style mead. It stalled about three times more sugar than is normally drinkable. Yeah. Uh, uh, we've talked about specific gravities and yeah. converting the sugars into alcohol previously. But it, it's just worth noting, when we were adding sugar before a fermentation, we were adding a lot of sugar. We're measuring the sugar that we're adding in pounds. Yeah. Like, Especially this honey. is not something you want to be drinking. No, so it was a... The gravity it stalled at was 1.098, which is above many starting gravities for brews. So what I did, and I've told, I've talked about this before, is I took, I bought a barrel from a local distillery that I used to do some work with, and watered it in quotes down with Everclear, and made a fortified mead that is similar to port. So at the time I was searching for a job, and I said when I got a job I would open the barrel, then you'd be a month or two, because ten gallon barrel that's a good amount of time it took me quite a bit longer and i still haven't opened it but i'll probably open it when later this year when when family's in town yeah and evan is moving shortly for work. i am moving though the barrel might stay in utah because i have that ability An entire barrel i mean let's be real here you yeah. want to move a barrel yeah and, it, and most of my stuff isn't here so yeah i will also be moving in january yeah. Just because my lease is up. Mm -hmm. and, Have you uh, found an apartment yet? No, not yet. We're still searching. Good but luck. one of the things that's very much on my mind is I'm going to move my equipment by hand. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want... We're getting movers. But there are some things where you just want to move them by hand. Yeah. yeah. But I, when I do move, and this is something I'll discuss at a later point and may have another potential interview can have my friend on to talk about kegerators. I'm going to get a kegerator for my apartment. Very exciting. Which also Separate means thing. I can force carbonate and do all sorts of sweet stuff. So one of the reasons you don't normally want to do sweet 
and bubbly. So you can do sweet wine. Like we're still kind of talking about the stalled stuff. If you can purposefully try and make something that's sweet by stalling your yeast via different methods. And what you do is, and if it's flat, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to do sweet and bubbly, you basically either have to use non-fermentable sugars or you have to force carbonate, which you need kegs to do. And we've talked about previously on this podcast, but when you are talking about adding non-fermentable sugars for anybody who's concerned about dietary restrictions or cash root, keep an eye on those because um, some of them will make a non-vegan, a lot of them are dairy based. So Mm -hmm. just keep an eye on that. And if you want it to remain parf or be allergy friendly, avoid having a lactate. Uh, uh, a lactose, a lactose sugar. Also, yeah. we are Jewish, or I am. I mean, Evan we are the very least are Jewish, and Jews are somewhat notorious for having lactose problems. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. So, uh, um, another reason to avoid using lactose. Yeah, I've never this. actually. So, sweetening with non-fermentable sugars is one form of back sweetening. I've actually never done any form of back sweetening in my brewing. I intended to with the maple cardamom. Mm-hmm. I still, I have thought about breaking open some bottles and seeing, can I just break open some bottles and, and add in maple syrup? If is fermentation's it, fully done, yeah. If not, you're going to get some sparkly bottles. They've been corked for a while. So odds are, yes, you can do that. Yeah, I might leave them a little bit longer and keep mm-hmm. it corked, but. Yeah. Uh, but we are approaching the time when the most number of bottles of champagne are purchased per year. Yeah. So interesting thing about the pandemic in general, alcohol sales went through the roof, but mm-hmm. champagne sales went through oh, went through the went floor. Yeah. They have really plummeted during COVID. And I think they've probably gone up in, in the last uh, eight months or so. But uh, for a very long time, they were down that is correct though there are people who make champagne punches yeah i think we've kind of run out on that we can talk more about how back sweetening and uh, stalled fermentations another day as we have more of those experiments happen yep but so punch and this is punch is something that people can actually use a lot of their homebrew for in one or two places depending on how strong they want their punch to be yeah so, you should describe <laughs> Yeah. So a little bit of a history lesson. There's not a huge Jewish component to the history of punch, but punch does originate in Europe, at least with the East India, the British East India Company, which has a notorious history. And yes, there were some Jews involved in it. There were Jews involved in it, but wealthy businessmen involved in it of all types from England and Britain. And it was in it uh punch is actually a loan word from Hindi, meaning five, due to the five traditional ingredients used in a punch recipe. There are, of course, are also the connections to something we talked about two episodes ago with mold wines and other European sort of proto punches. So glued and wassel. I'm sorry, what and wassel? Glued, the German red wine. You were the one who found a recipe and was very excited about it last time. I know, but now I I have... Yes, but now you are pronouncing it or attempting to pronounce it, and I have had wine. 
So <laughs> now it's very funny to me. Okay. I think that's no valid. Also, it is late o'clock at night for me. So I feel like that constitutes another excuse. No, no problem. But so because punches were realistically brought to Europe in the early early 17th century, so the early 1600s, but they were became very popular later in that century with the introduction and popularization of rum, which was cheaper to get than the previous spirit that was used in them, Bactavia Arak. And Arak, we've, I think we've mentioned it before. Well, we've mentioned Arak. We've never mentioned Bactavia Arak, which is spelled differently and is actually red rice distilled. Huh. It's from Indonesia and is really funky flavor. So the funkier rums, like the Jamaican rums, which I love, really became popular replacing it and are now, and were for quite a while, more common than the than using Batavia Rock or Brandy or other ones. Have I mentioned the best rum I've ever had on this podcast before? Maybe? I'm not sure. Sorry, I am. I am seeing, Evan is seeing my, uh, my video feed and I'm just slinking lower and lower in my chair. For a moment, it was like, for a moment, it was like the commercials where the guy's just sinking down because his chair fall, is falling. Yeah, I figure it, I feel like it's worth noting that like I have not actually had very much wine. I'm just an extreme lightweight, and usually I only have one glass, and this is glass number two. <laughs> and it was kind of a heavier point. But I am genuinely just a lightweight. I have not actually had that much alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, the best rum I've ever had was in the Bahamas. I was in the well, I w- I didn't have it in the Bahamas. I was in the airport leaving the Bahamas in Nassau, which is the capital and has the biggest airport. And waiting for my flight, international flight, made sure to get there early. And I'm walking by the liquor store in, in this duty-free area or whatever it is, the area that I think of as the duty-free area. And I see this bright pink bottle. And I go, I want to look at that. Uh, and I walk over to it, and as it turns out, it is mango rum. You have, I, I think you've mentioned on the podcast. You've definitely told me. I like it. Sounds delicious. Okay. Well, it was fantastic. It was like bright pink syrup, basically. It was actually, it was actually very sweet. I don't know how they did it, but from what I could figure out, it's made from mango sugars. Mm. Well, it's made from sugar and mango sugars, but there were mango sugars involved in it. Interesting. And it was bright pink and very delicious. And we drank it on the rocks because it wasn't like an, normally when you drink something on the rocks, it's you want the cold and you want just a little bit of water to, mm-hmm. to open up the flavor. But in this case, you really wanted to give it a good shake with the ice because it was so <laughs> thick you needed the melt. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was genuinely a syrup and we added a splash of lime. So sweet. Mm-hmm. And it was genuinely just such a fantastic beverage. But sometimes, I mean, you get, well, I guess leading a little bit in, more into the topic of punches, you have a lot of, of different components that go into a, a mixed drink that have different flavor profiles. A lot of the time they'll be very one note and you want to put them together to make something that's going to have a much more complex and satisfying flavor. So... Like, 
in this case, we just had we just had a sweet, tangy something that was very mm-hmm. syrupy, and we needed to add something that was a lot sharper to bring out, make the flavor less overwhelming and not just sweet. So you're not going to just eat a lime straight up. You know it has that that beautiful citrusy flavor, but you also know it has the really nice, the really strong sourness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to mix it with something that's going to complement that and make those those nice fruity notes come out um, and and kind of make the sour a little bit less. So you're doing that, and you're also taking something that's really tasty, um, but too sweet, and kind of mixing them to make something that's much more balanced. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So punches normally follow what's called the rule of five, which again is part where the name comes from borrowing the, the term for five from Hindi. And this is easy to remember. And I actually learned this thanks to a good eats episode. Shout out to Alton Brown yet again. I think I have four of his re- or three of his recipes that will be linked in the show notes. <laughs> And it's one part sour, two parts sweet, three parts strong, and four parts weak plus spice. So way back in ye old days of the British East India Company, one part sour would have been lemon or lime. Again, all of this was imported pretty much. Two parts sweet could have been pretty much anything, honey or sugar. Three parts strong was either rum or that Batavia rock. The four parts weak... And this is where you can use your homebrew in most recipes. You can you can use your homebrew wine or beer, but frequently they were using champagne, turbocharging their punches. And spice, because they were, again, very rich people from the 1600s, was nutmeg. Which is, it's whole other, nutmeg is, is quite a tangent that we can go on another time. But nutmeg has a long, storied, and fascinating history. Absolutely. You think of it as a very wintry spice, but it's, it's a tropical. Fun fact, do you know why Connecticut is called the nutmeg state? Uh, because of the importation businesses there for many decades? No. I learned this from my roommate, who was born and raised in uh, Connecticut. Shout out to Emily. But Connecticut is called the nutmeg state because uh, in the early days of the state of Connecticut, I'm not actually sure if it was pre or post revolution, but they ran a thriving (laughs) false nutmeg or counterfeit nutmeg businesses. Interesting. Yeah. They would just use tree bark because people didn't know what nutmeg was actually supposed to taste like. They just knew it was an expensive spice. Mm -hmm. So Connecticut, given that they've got all sorts of interesting trees, uh, just exported bark shavings and random (laughs) nut shavings and said, hey, we're selling you nutmeg. And people just didn't know what nutmeg really was. That is hilarious. So... The name Nutmeg State is actually a reference to their history of counterfeiting. That is hilarious. Yeah. Just (laughs) one small story in the history of Nutmeg. There were wars fought over Nutmeg. And it's it's so strange to think about it. And this is another tangent, guys. (laughs) But it's so strange to think about it. But... Throughout history, spices have been such a valuable commodity. And I just went to Trader Joe's and got a jar of one for $1.99. It's <laughs> like, crazy. Mo- it's most of the, war, the, the major spice for most of those wars was nutmeg. 
Yeah. Num and my roommate in question, who is from Connecticut, uh, and told me about the nutmeg scene, happens to hate nutmeg, which is a separate <laughs> <laughs> separate thing altogether. I know she hates anise. She yes, she hates anise. Does she just not like spice? Oh no, she does like spices. Uh paprika. Paprika is native to Europe. What? Paprika is at least pseudo-native to Europe. Delicious. Mm -hmm. She likes cinnamon in small quantities. No, she likes, she does like spices. It's just funny because I've never heard somebody complain about nutmeg before. Yeah, she told me that she hated cinnamon, but she liked cinnamon rolls. And I was like, do you hate cinnamon or do you hate what accompanies cinnamon? And as it turns out, she hates what's, what accompanies cinnamon. She's fine with ginger and allspice and who doesn't mm-hmm. love the smell of cloves? Yeah. But nutmeg is, and I think it's worth noting that nutmeg does get soapy to a certain degree in yeah. large quantities. And I say that as, as a cilantro soap person. I so am I, one I, of those. Nutmeg doesn't get soapy to me, and I don't have the cilantro soap. Um, I don't think it's related. I think it just kind of gets like a general, like, too much not right. It can get overpowering very quickly. But you actually mentioned another spice that frequently is used in traditional punches, that being allspice. Oh, yeah. Which I think is so cool. Oh, yeah. Allspice dram, which I've mentioned making infusions, that's why I made it, is to make punches. But I've not made a big punch bowl amount in, well two years last time i had a board game night or so yeah because I, i'm making like small amounts of punch but there are actually some drinks that are basically a punch that are single serving planters punch is a very common one a mojito follows the punch uh, ratio huh with the addition of mint as your spice yeah it's weird to think of mint as a spice to me it, but it also- is but well, I mean, it's not, weird to think about it, but that is its use in the in the drink. Yeah. I actually, I don't know if this is an uncommon thing or what, but I very strongly prefer the use of mint in savory dishes or hot dishes. Mm-hmm. I think that when mint is cold, um, it's like double the sensation of cold in your mouth, and I'm not really about that. So I... I definitely think it is underused in in savory and warm dishes. Yeah. I actually saw a recipe for a Chinese style mint beef that looked really good and I need to make. Have I given you my recipe for mango gazpacho before? No, but I, that sounds like something I want. Well, it's basically just large quantities of mango and ice. It is a cold application, but you all it's it's a lot of basil. Mhm. Mango ice and a little bit of mint and if you like more mint then you can add more mint but i go for a lot of basil and a little Mm -hmm. bit of mint and it is great i had it at the fairchild botanical gardens just south of miami which if you are in the area would strongly recommend they have great festivals and the gardens are beautiful Mm -hmm. i i am a former member (laughs) and also i'm a big fan of supporting local institutions like that. But I had it at their cafe once and just fell in love. And when my mango tree started producing, just kept making these massive batches of mango gazpacho. That that, when it is, you know, not snowing outside, that is something I will have to make. Yeah. 
really strongly recommend. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Mint and savory applications. I had some Indian food recently that had a whole bunch of mint in it. And as somebody who does not like cilantro, like, mint is a great substitute for freshness. Yeah. I haven't had good Indian in a while. Well, you should fix that. Well, there's not a... two hands and a stove. That is true. The last time I had good Indian, I made it. Uh, I just need to go to the grocery store (laughs) in reality. Cheers. Cheers. As I shove my wine glass at the camera of my computer. Um, what was I thinking? Uh, Two yeah. glasses, guys. Lightweight. I'm not a lightweight. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. My brews last longer then. That, that is true. Um, should we go back to punches? Punch buggy green, no punch back. But with punches, there are a few different ways, I think, where we were in the uh, episode. There are a few different ways you can use your homebrew because there's both the strong and weak components. So you can use your homebrew as the strong and then use water or club soda as your weak part or any soda, really. And then you'll have a lighter punch or you can use a strong spirit as the strong and put in a weak and use your homebrew as the weak and have a nice strong punch, which through the cold winter you might want. Yeah. Well, no cold winters where I am. That's true. Well, I'm praying for snow right now. I just need to hype the fact that it is current. It was 66 degrees when I went out to Trader Joe's earlier this evening, where I got the giant bottle of wine. Yeah, it is currently 30 (laughs) degrees here and snowing. Suckers. Yeah, I got out. I've gotten out on my skis for the last 12 days. I'm pretty happy. I have skied twice in my life. A second time, I skied into a tree, and then my brother skied into me, skied into the tree. And then we went inside, and I haven't been since. I also believe I was approximately 12 at the time. So, it's been a solid decade and a half. It, it has been a solid five hours? Rather, six hours? I'm rather inclined to leave it at... A decade and a half plus at this point. I, I love skiing, but I've also been doing it for 24 years. Yeah. I'm easily distracted. The mesh, <laughs> the mesh on this microphone is interesting. It, it, they are. I know. But so the punch recipe, you want to know the punch recipe that I made earlier today? Uh, yeah. So well, I followed the rule of five pretty strictly. I did one, one. part. What? I'm counting. Yeah, One. Lime juice. <laughs> Two. I used a just sugar. I used the sugar substitute, so the the technical total amount was not the same. Was not two parts, but total added added up to the equivalent of two parts sugar. But it didn't dissolve quite as well, so I ended up with something a little sour. Three. Three. I used Slivovitz. Oh, getting your old man liquor on. That it is. That'll be another episode soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Four. Four, I used port. Mm, I love port. So do I. I felt like the, the, the plum and the port would be a good combo. And except oh, for the yeah. fact it was a little sour, it was. Five. So instead of using nutmeg, because we didn't have any whole nut, nutmeg, I used Angostura bitters. Whew, nice. And it, I mean, again, it was a little sour, but it was quite tasty. So if you used simple syrup or honey or anything that would make sure that it integrated fully, be incredibly delicious and you can mess around with what flavors you want 
but it's a easy way to to change things. I feel like now is a good time to um, return us to the book that I have referenced many times. The Drunken Botanist, The Plants That Create the World's Great Drinks by Amy Stewart. Because mm-hmm. she talks pretty extensively about Angostura bitters. Because there's, there's a lot of like legal questions surrounding Angostura bitters. Yes. Hang on, let me find the page. 228. Two twenty-four. Angostura. Anyways, here we go. Uh, the long and the short of it is basically uh, this guy Johannes Siegert moved to Angostura, started making aromatic bitters made in Angostura, and then moved away. Uh, from Angostura, but kept making the same bitters. And even though they didn't actually contain any Angostura, anything from the Angostura tree, they claimed the name of Angostura bitters. So there were a lot of lawsuits in the early 1800s, um, all the way into the early, uh, early 1900s. And then um, there's like... This was controversial all the way up through the 50s, pretty much. But it was pretty much resolved in in 1905. Basically, the whole lawsuit is about whether or not you can call yourself or call it Angostura bitters, despite not containing any Angostura. And the end result is pretty much because they are known and they have been continuously known as Angostura bitters because... They originated in Angostura rather than containing Angostura. It's acceptable. So you can buy actual Angostura bark or Angostura, whatever parts of Angostura that you want, which is a tree. But if you're buying Angostura bitters, you need to know that it's an aromatic that contains all sorts of herbs and spices, but are not actually made from Angostura bark. I don't think this is ever going to be relevant in anybody's daily life, but it is an interesting bit of American trademark history. So it's not international trademark history because the city uh, formerly known as Angostura uh, is now known as Ciudad Boulevard and is uh, in Venezuela. Yes, but the uh, lawsuit was in several courts, if I recall. Yes, but um, the final one was in American courts. Ah. In 1879, it was in the British courts. There was some, like, political asylum in Trinidad for a while. And then, basically, the British court says that using the name Angostura Bitters is a a form of fraud. Mm -hmm. So they don't have protection under the law there. But in the U.S., they do have protection under the law, even though they can't contain, uh, even though they can't claim a monopoly. Yeah. So, but there are bitter, aromatic bitters that contain Angostura bark. Yeah. So Angostura bitters have to specify that it does not contain Angostura bark. So, you know, that is, you want to know my favorite, at least story about Angostura bitters? So apparent. So because it was basically started by two brothers, in and it settled in Trinidad. Eventually moved to Trinidad and Tobago. 
one was the story goes that one was sent to go buy the bottles, the other to buy the labels. Huh. That's why Angostura's bottles are very distinct with having a label that extends too far up and always gets crinkled at the top. Huh. That's funny. That is at I least the, that. never heard that before. The story. What? I'd never heard that before. Ah. Yeah. And it is a great use of spice in, uh, well, any cocktail. You should buy a bottle because it's just good stuff. Even in just club soda, a few dashes are delicious. Yeah. I should try it at some point. Mm -hmm. It's just like a fascinating history. And again, I really recommend this book. I reference it a lot. You've heard me mention it many times on the podcast. But also, like, I'm a big believer in having reference books on your shelf. I I have... all sorts of different miscellaneous reference books on my shelf. And when there, when a point comes up or when something comes up, it's good to be able to grab the book up and, uh, and say, okay, um, I'm looking at this type of agave or uh, this type of, of, uh, oh, God. Um, this type of product is going to, uh, go into this or historically this is how this is done it's just nice to be able to look this stuff up yeah and i know it's not the, it's not the number one most comprehensive book but she does do a uh, on all ingredients but she does do a really um deep dive into the things that she does talk about here so i yeah, think I, I need to reread it i've read it through my library and my kindle yeah i um, casually commandeered it from my dad who hadn't read it. You know. uh, it was on his bookshelf and I said, hey, uh, you mind if I take this? <laughs> and he hadn't gotten to reading it yet and he didn't seem to mind. Yeah, so I need, like, yeah, I need sure. to get a copy. Though aside from the punch recipe I just gave, uh, in the show notes we have two Alton Brown punch recipes from his season 13 episode 6 episode called Feeling Punchy. I thought you said the episode was six, and then I was going to start singing. We're one of a kind, no category. From the musical I never, I haven't seen the musical. I haven't seen it either, but the music is catchy as hell. I've not it's listened to the music either. And the, six hen- and the Six Wives of Henry VIII. Yes. Yeah, divorce beheaded died. Divorce beheaded survived. Yep. But there is one more category of punch to talk about. <laughs> You're giving me a look like, really? I was going to say physical violence, not physical violence. No. We are not discussing physical violence, and you should not be engaging in it. No, you should not. But a category of punch called a clarified milk punch. So, not what I have in my closet, but probably looks like it. No. Well, actually, maybe, depending on what how it clears out. Because <laughs> it is a clear drink. Frequently, frequently, these are made with tea as an ingredient. And what you do is that you actually add milk about a quarter of your volume of other liquid ingredients. And the because that first ingredient is acid, it's the sour, it curdles the milk. Huh. And then you strain it through, the, you then strain it and pass everything through the curds. And that is a filter pulling out a lot of the off or bitter flavors, generating a very smooth, sweeter drink that has just a, a lot of body that you get from kind of the bitterness in some ports or tea. And again, I'm, and it was very popular in the 18th and 19th century. It was found in the cellars of both Charles Dickens and Benjamin Franklin after they died. 
and it is huh. re- you should still keep it in a cold temperature but it is relatively stable huh. that's pretty cool yeah and again i've I, included two recipes one of which is alton browns i also think it's worth noting that if you're going to make a curdled milk uh, like a beverage with curdled dairy in it this is something i recommend you make in a small batch and taste it because not everybody's really a big fan of it. Well, so because you're straining out and removing the curds. Yeah, but it gets a different flavor. So it gets a different flavor. I, It's a little impractical. You shouldn't be, ma- you're not to be making giant batches, but the recipes are not small. They make four to six, I think, normally, which is a, a very reasonable amount. It's still very stiff drink. But if you make it too small, you just don't end up getting enough out to really taste it. Maybe it, maybe it's because the way I'm thinking of it is is like as somebody who makes cheese, I know I've tasted way before. Yeah. And like once you remove the curds, the flavor is very different than what you expect. So I've actually never had one. I've never had one of these curdled milk beverages that I know of. Probably um, not. But the way you describe it makes me think, like, leaving the way behind, it does have a distinctive flavor. So, so I, I would wonder, I'm just curious. When I've made them, there's been very little milk or whey-like flavor in the drink, but it pulls out a lot of the tannins and other bitter elements. Okay. So it might be a good thing to make with a group of friends rather than expecting to drink a whole batch yes. by yourself. But because, yeah, yeah it, it's definitely... Punches in general are things to make with friends normally. Mm. Yeah. I, I wanted to get more into them and then I wasn't able to have friends over anymore. Yeah. Man. Any last bits to add on punches, Evan? I think people should make them. They're a great thing for the holidays, whether you're just with family or seeing friends. They're great things, especially if you live in cold weather. But of course, they can be any time of year anywhere. And they are have a lot of history to them. Yeah. And I think one thing that is just like a good thing to think about. But like I know when we think punch, we there are a lot of, at least in, in the States, I would think when you hear the term punch, there are connotations of Hawaiian punch or whatever, like fruit cocktail-y thing. Yeah, fruit cocktails yeah. and mo- yeah, movies, movies of, I'm thinking of like Back to the Future. High, like high yeah. school dance sort of thing and somebody spikes it. But then that then reminds yeah. me of Ted Lasso, the Christmas episode, which have you seen that one yeah. yet? I have seen that one. Yeah, so this one, uh, this is a traditional Mexican punch. And if you want to make a cheeky, we can add tequila. And, yeah. And she smells it. This one smells like, oh, this one is pretty cheek. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen show. Ted Lasso, go watch it. It's excellent. But no, what I was thinking was more like, don't feel confined by like what you think of as the traditional punch. Just like think of something that you think would go well together. And you have the ratios to mess with, yeah. so just start with those ratios. Put pick ingredients yeah. you think you'll like, and have fun. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And anyways, anyway. we do have a sign off. Let us know if you like it. So far tonight. She's brewed, he's brewed, and now it's time for you to brew. Happy fermenting. Happy fermenting. 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Shebrews Hebrews, a Jewish fermenting podcast brought to you by myself, Evan Harris, and Allison Shea. This podcast was edited by Evan Harris and is produced by Evan Harris and Allison Shea. As always, you can find the podcast along with our show notes and full podcast transcripts uh, on our website, as well as you can find the podcast on Instagram at Jewish Fermentation Podcast. Please remember to drink responsibly, and thank you for listening.